Have you ever just felt that something was missing? That somehow, even though the day was perfect and things had gone the way that you'd hoped they would, that at the end of it all, you felt like something just wasn't all together. Maybe you'd taken a great uh, trip and you'd had this wonderful experience. And at the end of the day, as you started reflecting on it, you realized that the person you wanted to share that with most wasn't there. And so in a sense, it felt incomplete. Or, or perhaps maybe you, you took a vacation because you, you had a lot of problems and some things were were giving you a hassle back at home. And as you're on your way back, you thought, you know, that was a, that was a great experience, but something's not right. And you realize that it's because all your problems are just waiting for you when you get back. Have you ever appeared to the world like you had it all together, but really on the inside you thought to yourself, I, I don't. If you've ever felt kind of that way, then perhaps you can relate to this person that Scripture and the Christian tradition is called the rich young ruler. This man in Matthew 19 comes up to Jesus. And I imagine that as he's walking up, the crowd is looking at him and maybe even whispering to each other, going, that is the kind of guy that's got it all together. But we'll see from this text that he doesn't. Verse 16 of Matthew 19 it says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now last week, you might remember, we talked about how we have read so many of these parables so frequently that we automatically interpret them. And so this is one of those. Uh, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And all of us go, yeah, but uh, we don't have to because. And then we insert some sort of theological explanation right here for why we can, we can have the things that we have and live in the places that we can live and drive the cars that we drive and still be a follower of Jesus. We have interpreted this as not applying to us. Now, we can get there in several ways. One of them is we say, well, you know, Jesus was sort of having a bad day. You know, uh, this Jesus had been teaching. A whole bunch of people have been coming up to him going, teacher, 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 what do I have to do to inherit good life? And, and this is the last guy of the day. It's 5 o'clock. He's about ready to go home. He's hungry. He hasn't had lunch. And he goes, well, listen, all right, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And I'm going to be over here eating. And, and that's sort of maybe what we insert in this paragraph. And we go, well, see, this Jesus just said that to him. Uh, and, and he doesn't say that to the rest of us. You know, Jesus didn't really mean this. So that's one of the ways we look at it. Or we'll go, well, maybe it's just for him and not for everybody. Or we'll say, well, this is just an exception to the rule for some reason because Jesus knew the man's heart. And, and we sort of put all of these sort of caveats in there so that way the Word of God doesn't have that shocking power that it does, or rather that it should. And the question I want to ask first is, does Jesus mean what he is saying here in this passage. In order for us to get that answer, I think we're going to have to look at all of the other places or a lot of the other places where Jesus has people follow him in the book of Matthew. If you've got your Bible, flip back a few or this way to Matthew chapter 4. 
And in Matthew chapter 4, we have the very first time people come and follow. And it's interesting what happens there. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. And when you cast a net into the lake, you get what? You get fish normally. And for they were fishermen. Okay, verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said. And at once, I will, uh, and I will make you fishers of men. So the nets are like still in the water. Verse 20 says, at once, like instantly, immediately, right away, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Uh, That's why they're the sons of Zebedee. Preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately, what? They left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a fisherman and you've got your net in the water and you've got a boat and you leave those right away, you have just left what? You've just left everything. If you are there with a boat and your father, whose house you probably still live in, and Jesus says, follow me, and it says immediately you leave, I'm assuming that that means they also left everything. So Jesus, well, here he meant it, but certainly there's other places where he didn't mean it. Let's let's flip over to Matthew chapter 9. We see another calling, another disciple that would follow. Chapter 9, verse 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Notice, nowhere in here does it say he closed up shop. You know, he put all the money back in the safe. He made sure the books were even. No, it says he gets up and follows him, leaves it. He leaves it all. So, so far it seems that when Jesus calls people and says, come follow me, it means that they leave everything and they follow him. There's some would-be followers, or we might say the wannabe followers of Jesus in chapter 8. Uh, the NIV titles it the cost of following Jesus. Um, verse 18 of chapter 8. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Thank you very much. And then another man came to him and said, Let's get it word for word now. You don't want to be cheated here. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, both of these uh, people come to Jesus. One has a financial constraint. Uh, You know, he wants to have a nice house. He wants to have a place that he can live. And Jesus lays it out for him. He says, listen, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but we we don't have any place we stay. And so the impression is left that he goes away. Uh, the, the other one here, he's got family concerns. He wants to bury his father. Now, it might be that his father is dead already. Most people think his father's probably still alive. He says, let me wait until my father passes, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, hey, listen, that's not going to be good enough. That's not going to be good enough. Uh, and even if his father's already dead, he says, that's still not good enough. If you're going to follow me, you follow me right now, and you leave everything. And, and Jesus will come so far as to say that even in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus really lays it out. He says, here's what it's going to take for you to follow me. 
Verse 24. He says, if anyone, not just the rich young ruler, not just the disciples, but if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, we sort of neglect the fact that when you take up your cross, you normally take it to the place where you're going to be executed, which means that you really are leaving everything at that point. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So did Jesus mean it? Yeah. Just go sell everything and then come follow me. Wow. That's kind of heavy. Jesus means what he says. If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to get rid of it all and you're going to have to follow me. So Jesus means it at least to that man. What about to us? What about to us? It's interesting if you think about this. If you're going to really follow Jesus, I know we use that word today figuratively, but if you're literally going to follow Jesus in this day, you had to get rid of everything, right? Because, you know, you couldn't, like, have the disciples all carrying wheelbarrows full of, like, golden bullion and a a group of slaves carrying all the rest of your junk as Jesus is traveling around the countryside. Wheeling suitcases had not been invented. Uh, The pickup truck had not been invented. All of these things that would enable you to take all of your junk and follow Jesus did not exist. And so, if you're going to follow me, Jesus says to the rich man, you're going to have to get rid of it all because we don't have room for that in the caravan. And so... For him, he's got to get rid of it all. But for us, we've, we've, we've picked up to the fact that, you know, we can still follow Jesus and drive a pickup truck full of really cool things. But there's a few problems, I think, that we have. And in order to get to it, I think we need to zip forward just a little bit from chapter 19 to chapter 20. Because here we see some people follow Jesus where it says they immediately followed him. Verse 29, it says, As Jesus and His disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed Him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I love this story. This is maybe one of my favorite gospel stories. The crowd rebukes them. They said, Be quiet. We don't want to hear from you. They give them probably some money, because that's what all these faithful people do. They give them money. They say, Be quiet. All right, here's, some, here's a couple dollars. It says the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted what? All the louder. Okay. They want Jesus to hear. They say, okay, listen. Uh, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called him. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them. Touched their eyes. And then what? Immediately they received their sight. And what? Followed him. Nowhere does it say they left everything. Why? Because they had nothing. They were blind beggars with nothing. And when Jesus gave them their sight, they had more than they had just a few minutes ago. And they say, you know what? It would be no problem for me to follow you because now I can see before I was blind. Now I, you know, then I had nothing. And now with you, it seems that I could possibly have everything. And the idea of just leaving that place was so easy for them because they didn't have the attachments that everybody else did. And I think that maybe is key because we have so much stuff that if Jesus were to come and say, follow me, 
And I want you to go here and get rid of all of that. We would say, really? Are you sure? And then we'd have to have a Bible study about why Jesus wasn't calling us to do that. And then we could sleep better at night. And I think that's the problem. Is we're too attached to the temporary that we cannot see the eternal that's right before us. God to say, I've got all these things, I've got this call, I've got this stuff that you need to do. And we say, ah, you know, I've, I've got this, I've got to take care of this. Well, maybe after that, or once this is finished, or that's taken care of, or this relationship smooths out, or I get these financial things taken care of, then I contend to your business. And Jesus says, follow me. And we say, well, in just a second. And we fail to leave everything and follow him. I think that's one of the reasons why tithing is such an important practice. The fact that people would give 10% or more sacrificially of their income, and anybody giving 10% is sacrificing. I don't think we should think otherwise. But anybody that would give is saying, you know, what's most important is not this, and they just give it away. And they say, God, you're going to take care of that. And what you're doing really more than giving is you're loosening the grip that things have on you. It's a, it's a discipline where you start to starve that, that, that God, Jesus, calls mammon. If God called two Christians to something radical and, and they had to go do something dramatic for God and one of them gave and the other didn't, I could tell you who would go follow. The one that's been giving regularly as part of their life says, you know what, I understand what belongs to who. The other would say, I don't know, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do with all this stuff. Giving is so important to us because it frees us to go and to follow Christ. And really, if you think about it, it's a bargain compared to the rich young ruler, right? Did Jesus mean it? Yeah. Did Jesus mean it for us? I I think he did. I don't think we're getting off easy by saying we're going to hold our possessions with such a light grip that any second God would call us, we would give it all up. I don't think somehow that makes it easier. Uh, Jesus tries to illustrate it for us in a parable. We're working up to that. Verse 23, the man leaves uh, sad, and then Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is one of those passages where we automatically insert all these sorts of interpretations about why it's still possible. The disciples are floored by this teaching. Because to them, if you had money, and if you had power, and if you had some prestige, that that wasn't from you. That was God blessed you. And so the fact that you had something in your bank account meant that God must have liked you a little bit more than the person that had less. And so when Jesus says, it's hard for the rich to get into heaven, uh, they're going, well, then who can enter the kingdom? As a matter of fact, that's their question in verse 25. This is, who then can be saved? Jesus looks at them, and he winks, I think, and he says, well, with man it's impossible. In other words, you can't do it by yourself. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, I, I can help you. I can help you to loosen the grip that the stuff 
has on you. Now, some people have said that really what Jesus is referring to, and maybe you've heard this, is the camel's eye gate leading into Jerusalem. That there is some small gate, yay tall, yay wide, that a camel could get through if the other gates were closed late at night and on weekends uh, after five. And what the camel would have to do is take everything off of it it would have to get on its knees and they would sort of have like army crawl through the gate. Now, there is such a gate in Jerusalem, uh, but it was not around in Jesus' day. It was actually the time of the Crusades. And so a couple hundred years later, this gate shows up. Jesus is not talking about that. The reason we like that metaphor so much is we think, well, then that means if I get rid of all my stuff and get on my knees and sort of do the awkward motions, and that means I can sort of sneak into the kingdom of heaven. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus says you have the eye of a needle that you sew with, and you have a camel. Put the camel through the eye of the needle. You've got ten minutes. Uh, It's not going to happen. Jesus is saying you still can't do it, and you'll never be able to do it if you don't have my help. If you don't have my help, you'll never be able to do it. And so Jesus comes, and I think this morning this, this parable is as relevant as it was then. And, and we say, you know, well, what is it that we still lack? What is it that we're missing? What is it that's keeping me from following Jesus? Well, we look through the text. The one that he talks about the most, I think, is finances. You know, there's a reason Jesus talked about that a lot. It's because that's probably the number one thing that keeps us all from following him wholeheartedly. If we were to do a poll and say, what is the number one thing you think that gets between you and God? We'd probably say money. Probably would be the number one answer. It was then. I imagine it is to today. Jesus hints at some others. He talks about there's relationships sometimes. There's this this parental responsibility or a family responsibility that you're going to have to take care of. And, And Jesus says even that can get in the way. There's lots of things that can get in the way. What is it for you 